Good morning, Village Church. Good morning, good morning. Merry Christmas. All right, um, open up your Bibles, Matthew chapter 7, if you'd be so kind. Uh, I want to start off, and I want to say something a little controversial, and then what I want to do is prove it to you. You ready? All right, here it goes. Culture is a lens that predetermines the way you and I see things, feel things, and even the way we answer questions. Let me say this again. Culture is a lens that predetermines the way you see things, the way you feel things, and even the way you answer questions. So in short, culture is seeking to predetermine your view of beauty, of truth, and of God. So if I'm right, here's a scary thought for you. Many of the thoughts that you think, the ideas that you have, the things that you like were implanted into you and they are not originally from you. Is that a scary thought? Now let me prove it to you. How many of you uh, lived during the 70s? Raise your hand. Okay. Uh, I'd like to show you some articles of clothing that um, (laughs) apparently... Apparently, y'all would put on your bodies and walk out into public, okay? So here's the first one. This is, this is one of my favorites. The toga coat suit. Have you ever thought of the words toga and suit being in the same article of clothing? Um, I really like the belt, the uh, middle belt and the, the circle belt. I think that's really adorable. What I love is that it's, it's, this is from plaidstallions.com. Full transparency, never gone to the website, don't go there. I don't have any idea what it is. But I thought that was funny. So uh, I love too that this is from a catalog. So um, do you remember before the internet, you actually had to go to a catalog and you had to like thumb through it and find that number and then write it down and then make sure you had all the right information and they actually had to write a check, blah, that's a lot of writing. Okay, next picture. My favorite, okay, my favorite is on the right. It's like a little mariachi band, if you will. <laughs> oh, shame on you. <laughs> all you who wore all this, right? It wasn't me in Canada, Dale. We didn't wear this stuff. We were, yeah. Uh huh, uh huh, okay. Yes, all right. For $24.88, you too can be a creeper like this guy. <laughs> Like, I love, I love that somebody, like somebody in a marketing room said, I think this is going to be a great idea. And then a designer said, let me capture this in clothing. And then a guy took a picture of this and they actually said, this looks great. Let's, we think people will buy this. And you did, right? That's what's ultimately concerning for me. His platform shoes, can raise your hand, honestly. Did you wear platform shoes? Nice. <laughs> oh, God, help us all. All right, here's my question. What changed? What would make otherwise sensible and reasonable human beings like yourself wake up, look at that, and think, he looks good? <laughs> right? What changed? Let me tell you what the answer is. Culture. Culture changed. Culture is a lens that predetermines the way you see things, the way you feel things, and the way you answer questions. There is a force 
at work that transcends you, but affects and infects every single person in this room, whether we like it or not. And in 30 or 40 years, um, some young preacher will put up a picture of something I'm wearing or you're wearing and say, what on God's green earth were these people thinking, right? And even what we view as beautiful and true. And I want to take this a step further. I want to read to you six statements, six propositions, okay? Now, there is nothing new about the six propositions that I'm going to read to you. In fact, billions of people throughout history um, have believed in these six propositions without question or hesitation. Uh, In fact, the vast majority of Christendom until the last five to 30 years had no issues with anything that I'm about to put up on here right now. Like you could sit in a church and the preacher would preach these things and there would not be a lot of angst in the room. Now here are the six propositions. Number one, there is one way to heaven and all other ways are wrong. Number two, people are not inherently good but are born sinful and rebellious against God. Number three, if anyone rejects Jesus, they will go to hell. Amping this up. Number four, hell is forever, eternal, conscious torment under the wrath of God himself. Number five, truth is objective and the highest form of truth is found in the Bible. Number six, all other holy books are fundamentally wrong. Just pause. How do you feel? Some of you are thinking, I'm really glad I did not bring my non-Christian neighbor to hear that. Some of you are like, oh no, I brought my neighbor and they're here with me right now, right? Now here's the point. 30 years ago, we could go back into any evangelical church, the vast majority, from 98% of them, I could read this list and everybody in the room would go, yeah, 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 good, good, good. Now I read it and there's there's this like tension and here's what we find. Statistically, the younger you are, the greater the tension you feel, right? And the tension is not one of disagreement, but even the way we feel about truth is conditioned and affected by the culture we live in. Uh, It's amazing because I read a similar list of this to to a group of high school students, and I asked, how does this make you feel? And you could just see the anxiety growing in the room. And the anxiety did not exist because there was disagreement necessarily. The anxiety existed because culture has changed even the way we feel about difficult truths. Uh, Relativity is fine when it comes to style, right? It's fine when it comes to that kind of stuff. Well, if you wear that, it is objectively wrong. You're a sinner and you need to repent. Uh, So, but generally speaking, when it comes to truth, uh, relativity, when it comes to beauty and different things like that, I understand it. It's not quite as pressing. But when it comes to answering questions like, who is God? Who am I? What, how do I get to heaven? What is my purpose here on earth? These are not questions that I want an answer like, oh yeah, it's in style now, but it's not gonna be in style later. I want an answer like two plus two equals four. I want something solid, transcultural, something that exists beyond the whims of culture, right? I want something that is gonna actually be true no matter what happens out in the ether, no matter what happens in culture, no matter what happens in pop religion. I want something that is solid and foundational and true no matter what. And so here's my question this morning. Who, who is telling us the truth? Don't you want to know the truth? And one of the challenges, here's going to be the biggest challenge for myself and everyone in this room, 
It is to understand all of the ways culture is influencing us and it is putting a lens over our eyes that is seeking to predetermine the way you feel about the things Jesus says, the way you believe, the way you understand them. And so this is where we got to rise above this if we can and we need to actually allow Jesus to speak to us truth that transcends culture. Open up your Bibles, Matthew 7, 15. We are today actually finishing the teaching section of the Sermon on the Mount. This is gonna be the last thing Jesus has to say. He is going to drop the mic. This is gonna be quite a doozy of a closer for a Sermon on the Mount. And for his original audience, Jesus is entering into their culture. He is deconstructing it and putting it back together in a way that is truthful, in a way that is accurate, in a way that is helpful, in a way that is consistent with the rhythm by which God has made the world. And in the same way, through the word of God, uh, Jesus enters into our culture. We found uh, that the Sermon on the Mount and the teachings of Jesus do not vibe always with the things that we learn in American culture. And the word of God has to deconstruct us and then he puts us back together in a more truthful way. Way. He's going to answer questions like, who am I? Who is God? How do we relate? How do I obtain forgiveness? Where do I go when I die? Now, uh, point number one in your notes is this. Who's lying to me? So verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So Jesus is asserting two things right now. Implicitly, he is asserting that he is the truth teller. So you don't get like a guy who gets up front and he starts teaching uh, who believes he's a liar very often, right? Jesus is actually saying, no, 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 I'm gonna make a distinction. They're wrong, I'm right. That's the implicit thing he's saying. But there's an explicit thing he's saying, which is very clear. There are ravenous wolves out there and in here right now, and they're hunting, so I want, to, I want to read to you a passage from the book of Acts, uh, chapter 20. The Apostle Paul is giving a farewell to the Ephesian elders, and he gives them this warning. Here's what he says in Acts 20, verse 29. I know that after my departure, fierce, what's that word? Wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And this is, this is where it gets a little scary. And from among your own selves, he's talking to the team of elders, will arise men speaking twisted things. Why? To draw away the disciples after them. And then he says this, therefore be alert. Do you ever self-perceive or self-identify as prey? Because you are. There are people, ravenous wolves, according to scripture, hunting for gullible people that they might pull them towards themselves. Um, years ago, many years ago, man comes to church, second week at church. We're sitting right out in front of that door. He comes up to me and he said seven words that I just, they just struck me. And you know how sometimes people say something you can like see through their soul and you know that whatever they're saying, it's not coming from a good place. Here's what he says. I intend to be an elder here. I, I think I chuckled. <laughs> I was like, good luck on that, buddy. Um, but it was interesting because it was a reminder to me that this exhortation from the Apostle Paul 
is not just for that church, but it is for today. And there are people who want access so that they can deceive. They are ravenous wolves. Let's read verse 15 again. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So what what do we know about ravenous wolves? Number one, they masquerade as sheep. Bleeding, innocent, no big deal. Sheep would never hurt you, right? That's number one. Uh, Number two, the end result of their teaching is their full belly and your dead carcass. Look, I mean, you know this. You already see this. Look on TV. Do you not see men and women selling the word of God? If you give us your X amount of money, we'll give you a little cloth with anointment oil that will make sure that you are, you see it all the time, right? You see ravenous wolves bleeding like sheep using the words of Jesus, but their objective is to take your money to fill up their bellies, and in the wake of their ministry, quote unquote, are dead bodies, spiritual carnage. You see this all the time. You go into poor areas and poorer countries, and these ravenous wolves come alive seeking to exploit people. So what, this is, I mean, did we just talk for a moment, Ville Church? This is why preaching is so essential in any local church. This is one of the most important things that can happen because we need to have a resident wisdom and knowledge that gives us the ability to discern those who are full of it, those who are actually seeking to destroy rather than to build up. Uh, We take the pulpit incredibly, incredibly seriously. Sometimes I look out and people are sleeping and I'm like, that might have been the one thing you needed to hear that was gonna spare you from someone who's trying to trick you. And so one of the opportunities that we have, it doesn't matter who's up here, it doesn't matter how long or short, our goal is to attentively listen and grow in wisdom and knowledge, but it's also to evaluate and to make sure the guy standing on this stage, that his doctrine aligns with Jesus Christ and the word of God. So here's my my question again. Who is telling me the truth? How can I spot a false prophet? Verse 16 says this. You, you will recognize them by their fruits. Okay, agricultural society, I get it. Um, let's, let's read on because honestly, this section doesn't really answer the question for me, but it's important. So here's what Jesus says. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Village Church, what's the answer? No, 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 not at all. So every healthy tree bears good fruit. Is that also logical? Awesome. But the diseased tree bears bad fruit. We're on the same page here. Like he's making logical sense. You're tracking with Jesus here. A healthy tree, it cannot bear fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Number one, uh, Jesus wants you to know that the fruit that they bear will reveal the origin. It will reveal really where they came from. Okay, that's number one. Number two, The fruit is gonna reveal the quality of the person. Sometimes you bite into a piece of fruit and you realize, ugh, it looks good on the outside, but the inside's kind of disgusting. You know exactly what I'm talking about, been there, right? But number three, and this is, I think, is what is most encouraging for me, bad trees are cut down. But here's the deal. Um, Before they were cut down, they were allowed to grow. They were allowed to bear fruit. Some people were even allowed to eat off of it before somebody recognized this tree isn't good. And here's what this means. 
Like, on one level, like, I want Jesus to come in and like, kill all false prophets and teachers who are exploiting the poor and just taking advantage of them. Anyone else feel that way? No, just me. Okay, good. I'm a terrible human. So, but he doesn't, right? He doesn't. He takes his time. It's like he's not apparently in the same kind of hurry that I'm in. But here's the promise. Inevitably, inevitably, everyone and everything will be exposed for what it really is. And here's his promise. They may have full bellies, but Jesus Christ on the day of judgment will cut down the false prophets and false teachers. Now, as I read this, I'm still confused because Jesus, what is the fruit? What do I look for? Like, give me something tangible. Verse 21, he goes on. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. You need to pay very close attention to the things that they are saying. Now, what's interesting is um, typically this passage is applied to individuals. Um, actually, this is a, a passage that is uh, describing the ravenous wolves, the false prophets. Okay, that's what it's talking about. Uh, and so you look at what they say. You look at what they teach. You look at what they believe. You look at their doctrine. Uh, number two, he goes on in verse 21 and says, but the one who what? does the will of my Father who is in heaven. You look at their doctrine and you look at what they do. You look at their beliefs. You look at their behavior. These are two huge, huge catalysts for how you discern this. But then he goes on in verse 22. He describes the kinds of things that these false prophets are doing. And this is actually a little unnerving. He says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? A prophet is somebody who speaks in behalf of God to people to tell them the heart, the mind, the values of God. It's somebody who's speaking for God. So if I'm God, do I like false prophets who are misrepresenting me? Of course, the answer is no. I'm not excited about them in any way, shape, or form. So we have this group of false prophets who are speaking and they're teaching the masses and they're doing this in, doing this in Jesus' name. It doesn't just stop there. They're casting out demons. I'm sorry, but if someone has the ability to cast out a demon, does that not incline your heart to think that they're more godly of a person or something? Uh, you think to yourself, they must be on to something spiritual if they're able to do this. Well, then he goes on. He, he gets even bigger. He says, and they do many mighty works in your name. You know what the most scary part of this is for me? In your name, three times. One, two, three. In your name, in your name, in your name. They are masquerading as sheep, using the very words of Jesus, even using the name of Jesus. And yet, what's happening inside of them? They're wolves. They're on the prowl. They're hunting. So here's a question for you. What's more productive? Changing the essence of a wolf or protecting a sheep? What's more productive? So I've told you guys we have chickens. Uh, there are so many animals that are trying to eat my chickens. Possums, raccoons, foxes, mad souls, our youth pastor. Just, they're always like, oh, can we eat that chicken, right? It's amazing to me because I'm like, wow, like, I don't know, I, I don't live in a world where there are all of these things trying to eat me, right? And so we have to put our chickens inside of a coop, which inside the coop, there's another closed-in section that we have to close every night and open every single morning. And uh, it's just unbelievable to me. Now, I imagine I, I go to the raccoon and I'm like, hey, buddy, can we just talk for a moment? Um, I know you're hungry and this insatiable thirst for blood and all this kind of stuff, but like, can we just like, can we just change the essence? Like, it's not really productive for you to eat my chickens, you know? 
So uh, I think it's about a month ago, I came home and uh, I had my headphones on and I go up to my garage code, bleep, 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 you know, and uh, right next to my garage is my, my garbage can. And I'm not paying attention, I'm just singing on whatever and I'm just having a good time. And, and uh, so I, I bleep it in and I look right over, six inches from my face is a raccoon. I scream, and the thing didn't even move. It just looks at me. He's like, what's up, fueling high five? Man, Tommy, what's going on today? How's your life going? And I'm like, oh, my goodness. Like, these things are unafraid. And my point is, like, I, I could try to rationalize and change the essence of a raccoon, but here's where I spend the majority of my time. I spend the majority of my time protecting uh, my chickens and giving them an environment to thrive in, right? So many of us, we go online. Like, we go on Facebook. Wolf, wolf, wolf. I mean, you want to find wolves, just go to Facebook, right? And you go on Facebook, and the moment you respond, you're like me trying to rationalize with a raccoon, trying to get them to change the very essence of who they are. Have you ever changed a wolf's mind on Facebook? Anyone? 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 No, you haven't. Why? Because they're not looking to be changed because that's not how a wolf's mind is ultimately changed. They need a complete transformation through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is not an environment where most of that good stuff is going to happen. And so here's what we find, right? Um, We love to find these ways to engage wolves. And I would just say, leave them alone. Walk away from them. Let Let them do what they do. Try to protect the sheep. That is one of our greatest privileges and responsibilities. Here's another question. How do I process Sound people who stray in their doctrine or their decisions. My guess is the majority of you can think of like somebody in your life that you love and over time their doctrine started to go south, their behavior started to become more and more in rebellion against God's word. I remember in um, uh, early 2000s, I was at Michigan State University, and um, Rob Bell just came on the scene. He was uh, an evangelical preacher in a large church in Grand Rapids, and I remember I got his cassettes, and he was was enamoring. His ability to um, bring history of the Old Testament and early rabbinical literature, just a lot of really interesting things that I'd never heard before. His series on Leviticus, it it was like gold nuggets of background and context. And what happened is everybody just loved him, and, but, but some people would say something like, something's not right. Well, he releases his first book not too long after, and you start to see him questioning essential doctrines like the virgin birth. And then as book after book releases, you see that one after another, the major doctrines of the gospel and of Christianity are now not just being questioned but disagreed with. And here's what we find with false teachers, with wolves, or with people who are, we'll just say, uh, seem to be okay one day, and then slowly or quickly over time, you realize that they're not okay. Time exposes everything. Everything, everything, everything. And even if they make it to the day of judgment having duped everyone, they will never, ever dupe Jesus Christ. Uh, here, Here are the two most common ways leaders and teachers stray. Number one, their doctrine shifts with the winds of culture. Here's what that means. Um, You start to look at guys and uh, as they're preaching and teaching and you notice that these new, we'll say, trends in theology, ideology, philosophy, sociology start to come up, gender, identity. They start addressing them. And here's typically what we find. When they start teaching, um, they feel obliged to articulate the historical evangelical position on it. And then slowly they start asking questions 
that doubt it. Then what happens is they ask the questions, but they don't give you answers. Inevitably, what you find in this process is that slowly, as the winds of culture changes, um, when they feel safe enough culturally, they come out of the closet, so to speak. They start to tell you what they actually really think and believe. And here's what happens. This is one of the most common ways um, preachers slowly, as culture changes, they change. And as they change, you hear it in the things they say. So you have a job to do. Your job is to not just trust that Michael at 55 will be doctrinally sound because Michael at 37 is doctrinally sound. Time exposes everything. And it's your job to listen. It's your job to be grounded. It's your job to challenge. It is your job to say, you said X, but the word of God says Y. How did you get there? It's your job to be discerners so that you might not be sheep who are devoured. Uh, The second most common way a leader and a teacher strays is that they progressively get more and more hardcore on truth but grace ceases to exist. It becomes legalism and law. This was the issue of the Pharisees. Jesus would say something like this. Um, Basically, um, listen to what they teach, because what they're saying about the resurrection and the word of God is true. Don't do what they do. Listen to what they teach. Don't do what they do. So it's possible someone can get up, and they can be doctrinally sound, but you know that they might be a ravenous wolf because they are graceless. They are inflicting law and judgment on people. And it's a fine line to be doctrinally sound, to be grounded as Jesus himself was, as John 1 says, in truth and in grace. Look at verse 23, Matthew 7. He says this, And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I think historically you may be tempted to read this and say, oh no, is this gonna be me one day? What this should do is actually bring great relief to you because Jesus makes a promise here. He will, with finality, deal with false prophets and teachers and he will call them out publicly for what they are and they will not pass judgment. And so this is actually an encouragement, I think, when you read this. Like, that's how protective Jesus is. He will call out the false teachers and false prophets. I mean, Jesus is closing out his Sermon on the Mount with kind of a bummer, isn't he? Like, <laughs> it's like, come on, as a preacher, I'm like, give me something here. But uh, go to point number two. Who's telling me the truth? We have a little bit of words of optimism here. Jesus shifts gears. He addresses the hearers and not the teachers, okay? So this is now primarily addressed to most of us in this room. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. I love this. Words of mine. He is again now explicitly declaring himself to not be a false prophet, but a true prophet, the truth teller. Jesus tells us the truth about God eternity, ourselves, life, the word of God. Verse 25 goes on and says, and the rain fell and the floods came. These are all all illustrations of the final judgment, of a judgment from God. That's what this is implying here. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall. Why? Because it had been founded on the rock. Who is the rock? Jesus Christ in his word. I, w- I want to go back to Acts 20. Remember we read that and uh, Paul speaks to the Ephesian elders? 
I wanna read this again. I wanna read you the rest of the story. Verse 29. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. And he goes on. Remembering that for three years, I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. The Apostle Paul, this is like one of the greatest biblical training churches ever, apparently. Would you, would you just love to be taught by him for three years? And he's not just teaching road exposition. Like his tears are communicating his love and his affection and his emotions for this community. And he's like, I am training you in the word of God. He goes on, here's what he says. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. He basically says this, the rock, if you will, it's Jesus Christ himself and every word that he utters. That we build our lives, not on the whims of culture, which is just sand. We build our lives on Jesus Christ, who is constant and eternal and forever the same, and his word, which is always true in lands in every culture, no matter how different the culture, and applies and supersedes whatever that culture says is true. So watch this. He's going to end this sermon now with a bang. Ready for it? Yes. Verse 26. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them. You can't unhear it. You've heard it. Now the ball's in your court. He will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, beat against the house, judgment, 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 and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Drop the mic, walk off the stage. That's how he ends it. I love this. He ends his message, not with a feel-good note, but by drawing a line in the sand. And here's what he says, basically. You have the Pharisees over here, Jewish people. You can go follow them and their law and their gracelessness and their bad interpretations of scripture. Okay, they're ravenous wolves and the end will be your dead spiritual carcass. Or you can follow me. And I want, you, I want you to hear this verse. You've heard it a million times, I'm sure, but I want you to hear it in this light. I, Jesus says, am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. Nobody gets to the Father except through me. Dead carcass, life. You pick. Imagine in a moment of empathy, he sits down with them and says, I get, I get that culture's easy. I get that agreeing with these whims are easy. I get that it's convenient. But that's its end. And it's wrong. It's not even true. Or you can come with me. And I will show you truth. I will show you truth that doesn't just change. I will show you truth that is actually eternal. I will show you a way that is better. I will grant you redemption and forgiveness. And I love this, that he just draws a line in the sand and he's like, look, you have two options. You have whatever system of religion is over here and you have me. And if I could just admonish you, pick Jesus every single time because he tells you the outcome of every single other system. Two questions to close. Number one, how do I know if I'm under false teaching? Don't you want to know that? 
Um, I'm not going to answer that today because uh, Friday on our Q&A podcast, uh, Pastor Craig and I answered a question, what is a cult? Now, it was a little bit different question, but it gets to the same answer. Um, you guys apparently like talking about cults. We got a bunch of questions on that in the Q&A podcast. And so over the next uh, week also, there'll be more questions on that. In the new year, actually, Pastor Tim and I will get in the studio and we'll answer this question. How do I know if I'm under false teaching? What I want to answer now is the second question. How do I respond to this sermon? Number one, devour Jesus' word. Devour it. Soak it up. The greatest gift for me and my accruing of knowledge of the word of God has been podcasting and awesome Bible teachers that we have at this church. Uh, we have so many opportunities for people to learn and grow in so many different areas. And, and uh, I, in my spare time, I try to learn as much as I can. Now, I want to be a doer, uh, but before I can be a doer, I need to be a learner. And I think Christians should be some of the greatest learners. I think we should pay with careful attention. We get into our community groups. When the community group leader asks questions about what you learned and what happened, what not, like we should be prepared to discuss these things, to devour, to go deeper. Disciplines in our lives should be set up because I'm telling you, you are prey. You are prey. I am prey. That is real. And Jesus is offering us the way and the truth and the life. Number two, discern those influencing you. Discern them. If you do not feel equipped to be able to discern, it would be our absolute pleasure as a leadership of the Village Church to help you grow in discernment and to learn the Word of God. Write on your Connect slip. Uh, do whatever you can. Communicate with somebody. I want to grow in my discernment. I need somebody to mentor me. I need somebody to help me grow. Let me just tell you, I don't know if I've ever met in a church our size more solid leaders and teachers than I have in this place. Uh, I could close my eyes. I mean, I could just pick my eyes up right now and look. One, two, three, four. Five, like, there are multiple men and women in this church more than competent to come alongside of you and help you grow and help you grow in this discernment. Uh, you got to let us know. We'd love to help you make that happen. But number three, Jesus draws the line in the sand. And this is the one thing I just have to admonish you. If you've never trusted in Jesus, you have to. I would plead with you. I know some people look at him as optional. They look at him as just another way. But when Jesus self-identifies, he does not self-identify as another way. He self-identifies as the way. Uh, Jesus offers life, forgiveness, and redemption. And here's the challenge. It's literally not found anywhere else. It's not a matter of, uh, I'll get it over here. I'm just not really into that Jesus thing. He draws the line in the sand. He ends on this note because he knows there is no other place where they can go where they won't be ultimately at the end devoured and found guilty on the day of judgment. And what he offers is redemption and forgiveness and peace with God, answers to questions, truth. Uh, this moment that every human fears the day you die and you stand before God on the day of judgment and he says, why should I let you in? The only answer you're gonna have is I believe in Jesus, that's it. You got nothing else in that day, nothing else. And here's what he's doing, he's offering, but he also understands, he understands that this is a really difficult decision for a lot of people because to come to Jesus means to submit your life under a new authority, one that is bigger than the whims of culture, but is the word of God given by Jesus himself. And so as we get ready to celebrate communion and worship and our kids are gonna come in here a little bit and they're gonna lead us in worship, uh, I don't wanna lose this moment. Today is the day of salvation. Today, Jesus is drawing a line in the sand for you and saying, cross over this line. Come to me, all you who are 
burdened, all of you who are stressed and overwhelmed and you don't know where you stand with God, and I will give you truth and forgiveness. And this happens not by being good, but by trusting in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, as we get ready to approach this communion table, it, it represents an overwhelming reality that in and of ourselves, we could not make our sin problem right. It reminds us that you had to intervene into human history and resolve our dilemma for us. God, I want to thank you for you gave Jesus, your only son. I want to thank you that on the cross, you genuinely poured out all of your righteous anger that should have been for us on his body and his soul and his emotions. Jesus, thank you for bearing the wrath I deserved on yourself. God, as we come to this communion table, as we reflect on this, we are just reminded that um, what happened on Calvary was the most massive and consequential event in all of human history. Father, I know some of us are, are reticent to believe, and I understand that. And so God, my, my, my simple prayer is that you would, um, as people struggle, as they try to answer who is Jesus, is he really who he says he is, God, I pray that you would intervene you would grant faith, you would grant eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to believe that you would open that up so that they might truly see the glory of who Jesus Christ is. God, for those of us who have already trusted in Christ, we are just filled with gratitude because Jesus took on himself what we deserve to take on our own bodies and souls. And so God, as we come to this communion table, we are filled with gratitude. Would you just well up more gratitude inside of us? Lord, some of us need to confess right now. Some of us, there's some things that we need to say to you. And and, uh, in this time, I pray, God, that you would um, bring those to mind, but you would also remind us that you are a God who forgives us and that even our most wretched sins have been placed on Jesus Christ for those who have trusted in him. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name.